Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. It is Friday, March 11, 2022. I can honestly say I have never been happy to say the words welcome back to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Matt and I haven't done one in, I don't know, two weeks, two years. It's hard to tell what time it is. Hey, the lockout's over. Baseball is happening. We have our friend Mark Feinstein here, who's going to kind of walk through it all with us. Um, what's like, for both of you, the one word that sums up how you're feeling right now? I'm going to start and steal with relief, because I'm just so happy to be able to talk about baseball with you guys again. Um, hi, Matt. It's been like forever. This is great. <laughs> Yeah, it is great. I'm very excited. Uh, maybe excited is the right word. Um, there you go. There's a, you know, one of my favorite rap groups of all time is this uh, is De La Soul, and they have a song called uh, "Fanatic of the B Word." It's not on streaming services because of weird record company stuff, but you can find it on YouTube. And the opening refrain is just them going over and over again. Come on, everybody, let's baseball. Come on, everybody, <laughs> do the baseball. And I have had that song stuck in my head for the last 24 hours. Mark, welcome. Uh, Mark Feinstein is uh, one of our executive writers who's been, you know, focusing on the business aspect of all of this. I feel like, Mark, your last two months have been somewhat different than mine have because you've been much more in the weeds on this. Uh, you must be thrilled to, you know, start actually thinking about baseball players again. Two months. It's like three and a half months, four okay, months. Well. I would say my word would have been, ah, that, was, that really would be just the only word I could possibly use to sum up my feelings uh, last last night. Uh, yes, that's fantastic. Listen, we're not going to go through like every single part of the new agreement. Like you can find all that stuff everywhere. If you're interested in the numbers on the CBT, like they're everywhere. Um, there's a couple of things I thought that were really interesting that I just want to like bring up with you guys before we get into free agency, which is starting. It has started. No one signed yet, but they're able to. The, the thing that stood out to me the most was the lottery, right? So the way the draft lottery is, is if you are one of uh, the, the top six picks in the draft, are open to a lottery. And I don't know, I don't follow the NBA, so maybe it's just me being silly, but I had thought that was going to mean the worst six teams would just get jumbled in a new one to six order. But it turns out it's actually all of the non-playoff teams. Now there's 18 of them are in this lottery. And obviously like if you have a worse record, you have better odds, but it is conceivable uh, if this was in place now, which I don't think it is. The 91 win Blue Jays had a 0.2% chance of getting the number one pick in the draft, which I kind of love. Like, I think that adds so much excitement. I haven't heard, Matt, maybe you know this. I don't. Are we doing lottery balls? Is this going to be like, you know, uh, the Channel 7 News at 730 like we've seen? 
No, I don't think. I mean, even the, the NBA has put it behind closed doors. Uh, used to, you know, they used to do it. You know, the uh, the, the infamous frozen envelope with Patrick Ewing, like, uh, or you know, whether you know, whatever the 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 urban legend about the frozen envelope that was done like on camera. They, they've done they've done that behind. They've done the actual lottery behind closed doors. But I actually think the most interesting implication about the draft lottery um, is. Even if you are a team that receives revenue sharing, you cannot appear in the the lottery in three consecutive years, right? And I actually think this will have an impact on team behavior. A perfect example is, let's let's say this had been in place 10 years ago in the Astros when they were at the worst of their worst, um, when they basically had the number one pick in, I guess, what was it, three straight years? Um, Yes, they had the number one pick. Well, four straight, technically, it was top two, right? Because the one year they didn't sign Appel and then they got the Bregman pick. No, they were one in 2012. They got Correa, yeah. they were, and then 2013 they got Appel, and then in 2014 they got Brady Aiken. So three straight years they oh well yeah pick, right. So if yeah. this existed then, they would not have been able to get the number one pick in 2014. And you say like, oh well, no big deal. That was Brady Aiken. He stunk, but because they didn't sign Brady Aiken, that's why they got Alex Bregman. That's right. What I meant. Yeah. So in in the way the system's set up now is you can't be in the lottery, and the lottery is the top six picks. Any team a, a revenue sharing a team that receives revenue sharing can't be in it three straight years. So. The, the highest they would have been able to pick after that is any team is would be seventh after that. And a, and a team that, that pays in revenue sharing, like a big market team, can't be in it more than two, you know, in consecutive years. So it actually does change your behavior a little bit because I think there'll be more pressure on teams where you can't just be like, oh, well, we'll get the number one pick again. Like, no, you're, you're not. And um, I think that actually could have an impact on the way teams behave. And that was sort of the, the goal of this. And that's why I think that, you know, the players wanted to be more of like, more team, a bigger lottery, which is what they got originally. You know, I think you know they wanted eight, and the league wanted three or four, and they ended up you know meeting in the middle. Well, first of all, yeah, Mike, now you've I... made me now you've made me second guess my writing for the last three months because I just kept referring to it as, as an NBA style draft lottery, assuming that everybody knew what that meant. But apparently, I should have described it a little <laughs> not, more not detail. At all. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think the fact that also the way that the odds are going to work is that the three teams with the worst records in the league will have the equal chance at the top pick. So uh, it's not like if you finish with the 30th record in the league, you have any better of a chance as the team that finished 29th or 28th. Um, you know, so that at least sort of makes it a little more even in terms of the bad teams. Uh, but I, I love the fact that, uh, you know, that revenue sharing uh, payees cannot receive her for three consecutive years because those are the teams you think of when you think about the tanking teams, so to speak. Um, you know, I mean, look, the Cubs went through their own thing. They were not a payee. They were a payor. So uh, they wouldn't have been able to have lottery selections in back-to-back years. So I-, I do think this will have a huge impact on the whole concept of tanking, um, which was one of the union's goals going into this. And I thought MLB, you know, came up with a system that uh, you know, right now you look at it, it's, it's the most aggressive lottery in, in pro sports in North America. The NBA only does the lottery selections for the top four picks and the NHL only does it for the top two picks. So here it's the top six. And like you said, uh, you know, for the teams that just out on, miss out on the playoffs, 18 teams are in this thing. 0.02 is not a great uh, percentage chance to get that into one of those top six picks, but it's something. Just just imagine like I, it. Is not going to actually play out this way, right? But imagine the ninety-one win Blue Jays drafting the next Bryce Harper. <laughs> hey, that's that's, that's with the, the Atlanta Magic and Penny Hardaway. Come on, I know. And, and the San Antonio be- Spurs and Tim Duncan. I mean, we've seen it. You know, we've seen teams with with really good players in the NBA and and pretty good teams. You know, somehow land that first pick. Uh, you know, by 
by good fortune. So it will happen at some point, right? It will happen at some point in baseball where, uh, you know, those bottom three teams don't end up in the top three picks. Uh, It will happen at some point. There's, there's just no chance that it doesn't. And we should point out that this does not affect the 2022 draft, right? That order is already set. Correct. Correct. This goes into effect next year. Exactly. Right. Um, It's funny. So much happened um, so quickly. And I know it sounds weird to say quickly because this thing took more than three months, but all of the different, you know, negotiations and, and rules and inputs and outputs changed. And I've seen a lot of people on Twitter kind of getting confused about like what is actually included and what's not. So I just want to hit on a couple of those quickly. The National League does have a DH, which I know Matt and I have talked about ad nauseum <laughs> over the last couple of years. Um, I'm, I was indifferent and now I'm pretty much in favor Double headers are nine innings again, which is fantastic. The ghost runner in second base is gone, which I'm actually a little bit sad about. I think Matt and I both agreed we kind of started to like that one. Um, so that's gone. And then the other interesting thing, too, is that, you know, there's no other rule changes for this year, right? The shift is not banned. There is no pitch clock. There's no robot umpire. I think we all expect to see some of those at some point in the future, but they are not happening now. The other big thing is there are 12 teams in the playoffs, six in each league. I think this is really interesting if you break down how this works, right? One of the issues I've always had with the playoffs, at least since the wildcard came into existence, is that there are too many off days. And what that does is it really makes the game look a lot different because you can just ride like your three best relievers and not have to worry about using the full staff. Well, the wildcard game is now a three-game wildcard game. There's no ghost wins or anything like that, although I think that would have been fascinating. And what I really like about this, the games are all at the home field of the higher seed. You know, there's no travel. Uh, I think that's kind of a nice advantage. It's maybe not big enough, but I do think it's something. Like, it's kind of cool to say, hey, uh, we won more games than you, and we're going to play all of our games at Yankee Stadium and not have to go to Oakland, Kansas City, wherever. I think that's cool. Well, and I think the bigger issue also is it also incentivizes being one of the top two seeds because it almost guarantees you will be able to rest your number one starter and be ready have your rotation lined up for when you face the winner. You know, when you're one of the top two seeds, by the time you face the winner of – the wild card series, you will not only have your starting rotation lined up exactly how you want it, these teams will probably have had to like really, you know, ride their best pitchers on three straight days just to get through. So I think that it will actually increase the chances of the higher seeds winning in um, the division series. This is all obviously theoretical, but you could argue that this actually now incentivizes being a top two seed more than the previous system does and actually could put a greater weight on the regular season. Yeah, and I, I should and have you know said, what, Matt, honestly, to explain I how this... think... Sorry, Mike. Well, go ahead, Mark. I was just going to say, the top, say... the top two seeds, I forgot to say this, they they do get a buy, right? So the bottom four seeds have to play their three-game series, the top two seeds get to rest. I, that's, that is a big advantage. Right, and not to mention, I think it does incentivize being one of those top two, but even if you're going to be that third division winner or you're fighting for that third division, there's incentive there too, because you want to host that best of three series as opposed to going on the road for that whole series. So even the wild card teams being that four seed is a huge advantage because you get to host that series against the five seed. And, uh, you know, so I think honestly, it, it, you're going to see teams fighting for those top two spots, fighting for those three and four spots. And then you'll have, you know, theoretically, you know, one, two, three teams fighting for that six spot. Uh, this could really make for a lot more exciting September baseball, which I think is obviously a plus for everybody. Uh, you know, when you look at the the buy is clearly going to be an advantage, like you said, Matt, just like we see in other sports or in football where, you know, you get to rest everybody up and, and be fresh for that next round. Uh, resetting your rotation is a huge thing. And if and this will 
allow those teams that are going for those top two spots to to play it all out in that last week and not worry about setting their rotation during the last week of the season. So uh, I think all around this is going to be uh, this is going to be a big plus. Yeah, there's a couple of other changes. I think people maybe underestimate how many changes there actually are. For example, if you finish in the top two spots in the rookie of the year voting, you get a full year of service time regardless of how many days you're actually in the majors. There's a whole pre-arbitration bonus pool of $50 million that is spread out amongst uh, young players who finish in certain spots in awards voting, or there's a, a to-be-determined wins above replacement component. Uh, hard, to, hard to totally break that one down until we understand how it works. The last thing I want to talk about before we get into free agents is a change that I think no one's going to notice, but I'm super excited about because even though it sounds minor, it's actually a big deal. There is now a limit to how many times you can option guys back and forth between the majors and minors in the season. Before, it was unlimited over a certain number of years, usually three years, occasionally a fourth. So you'd have these situations where guys like Mitch White of the Dodgers or Albert Abreu of the Yankees would go back and forth between the majors and minors like 15 times in a year, which is pretty rough on that guy's personal life. And it was also kind of making unlimited bullpens because you'd have teams have, let's say, a 13-man bullpen. But, you know, your guys, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, maybe somewhat interchangeable. So you just ride them and ship them out every day and always have a fully rested bullpen. Now the maximum is five times in a year or you have to let them go. And I really like that a lot. It helps the players, obviously. But I'm hopeful that means that managers will use their bullpen slightly differently. Maybe you ride your starter a little bit longer, which everybody wants to see. You know, maybe you think a little more carefully about how you use your relievers. Maybe that puts some contact back in the game. It's not going to fix the problem. Strikeouts, obviously. But I think this is such a little thing that most fans won't notice. And I'm really excited about this. So, Mark, is this? do you think this is going to have the impact I'm hopeful it will? I think it will. You know, the, the old AAA shuttle will uh, make fewer stops throughout the course of the year. Teams are going to have to figure out how to use their pitching staffs a little smarter um, and not just say, all right, well, I'm just going to burn this guy out for these mop-up innings, knowing that I can just make a move tomorrow and then bring that guy back in 10 days. Um, so yeah, I think it will have an effect. I want to just jump back in one second because I know a lot of the numbers, a lot of the uh, minutia in the agreement is, is really hard to sort of get across, but that pre-arbitration bonus pool to me was one of the big keys of this deal. This was a, a framework, a concept that the union had come up with MLB, accepted it then it was just a matter of figuring out the money but just to put it in plain terms of how this is going to help some of the young stars in the game uh so last year going off of the 50 million dollar pool to the top 100 players last year corbin burns made six hundred eight thousand dollars for his cy young season under this system he would have made over 4.2 million vladdy guerrero made 635 under his runner-up mvp season he would have made almost 3.4 22 players in all would have more than doubled their salary last year of that pre-arbitration class. So basically, if you're a pre-arbitration guy, a guy with zero to three years of service time, and you put up a good year and you're a productive player who puts up good numbers, your salary is going to jump quite a bit. And so one of the main objectives the union had coming into this was getting young players paid more earlier in their careers. This was a huge step in addition to the minimum salary jumping, obviously, but this was a huge step in rewarding those players who really produce in those first three years, you're going to get paid. And not only are you going to get paid, but then when you make it to arbitration, that's the salary number you can now start at in terms of your argument. Whereas, you know, you used to get to arbitration in your first year, you were trying to argue your salary off of a $600,000 salary, or if the team had given you a little more, this is going to have a, a wide ranging impact, not only on those young players early on in their careers, but once they hit arbitration as well. 
Yeah, I love the premise. And this is brand new. This is something that this board has never had before. And it's addressing like a real obvious issue. I will say I don't love that there's a winds above replacement component, but I will withhold judgment on that until we see the details. Because well, I was going to say, just to FYI, it will not be a straight off of Fangraphs or Baseball Reference. Those two sites both exper- uh, express some reservations about their numbers being the things that determine this. So the league and the union are putting together a joint committee to develop a statistical method that will result in these numbers. Uh, so it's going to be something that's that's agreed upon by the two sides. That remains to be seen exactly how that shakes out. And I'm fascinated to see how that works out. We will take a quick break and we will be back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast to talk about free agency. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We're back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello and Matt Myers with our guest, Mark Feinsand. Free agency is technically open. It is 11 o'clock in the morning Eastern time for us as we record this on Friday, March 11th. Free agency has technically been open since 7 o'clock last night. Mark, I did not expect, let's say, Freddie Freeman or Carlos Correa to sign last night because there has not been allowed to be any contact between players and teams and agents uh you know across the lockout i'm a little surprised we haven't seen like a guy like a reliever signed for two million dollars not one yet and i think people maybe had it in their heads this is going to be like an nba style frenzy maybe that will happen uh are you surprised like nothing has happened yet well not really only because like you said teams and agents have not been legally permitted to speak to each other about these things for the last three and a half months anybody who had come out and signed a deal last night whether it was the case or not, people would have looked at it and said, oh, well, clearly they've been talking and they have this worked out. So I wasn't surprised that anybody uh, that we didn't see any signings the first night. I would expect by the end of the day Friday uh, and people will be able to come back and put this on freezing cold takes if it doesn't happen. But I would expect by the end of the day, <laughs> we will start seeing a number of players sign. Again, I don't know if this will be the Correa, Freeman, Bryant story kind of guys, um, but I do believe that uh, we'll start seeing some guys. I mean, look, camp's open on Friday. Mandatory report day is Sunday, and there's only a few weeks of spring training. So you would think that free agents are going to want to get into a camp, get acclimated to their new team, their new teammates, their new coaching staff, et cetera, uh, not to mention, you know, getting in game shape. Um, so I, I would expect that, you know, by the end of Friday and certainly by the end of the weekend, I think you'll see a, a number of uh, of players sign. <laughs> Who, who Who is the first big move? Give me the first big name that's coming off the board. The first big name I would have to think is Freddie Freeman, uh, mostly because I think at this point, if he didn't already work out a deal with the Braves, I just don't see it happening. And I know this is something that sounds blasphemous to people in Atlanta. They won the World Series. Why would they not bring back the face of their franchise? Um, but we've seen teams averse to signing guys in their 30s to long-term deals. Freddie Freeman is one of the best players in the game. He's won an MVP. He's now won a World Series, and he's going to want a long-term deal. Um, You know, this is what happens when you sign an extension earlier in your career. It puts you back on the free agent market in your early 30s, which is not a great thing for players these days. Uh, That said, there are plenty of other teams that would be more than happy 
to add Freddie Freeman to their team. And I think, um, you know, I would imagine that his negotiations and his talks with other teams were were hitting a pretty high level uh, when things cut off on December 1st. And so to pick those back up and uh, and have him, you know, come to terms somewhere uh, this weekend would not surprise me at all. I actually think Freeman is the kind of guy who could like it's not being talked about, but I actually think the the DH and the NL actually opens up the market for him a little bit because Agreed. he's exactly the kind of guy where he has nowhere to go in the defensive spectrum, but now an NL team can sign him to a big deal, knowing you know what, like we can we can sort of like help stave off the aging curve a little bit, knowing that we can give him bats at bats at DH. So I think that's like one of the subtle effects of the DH in both leagues is guys. It's not necessarily the Nelson Cruz's and Kyle Schwarber's, although they will benefit as well, but it's some of these guys who were already on like the, the left field first base side of the defensive spectrum. And as they age, teams might be as the NL teams will feel way more comfortable um, giving them long-term deals. I've already seen some rumors, Freeman and the Yankees. Is that you, you, do you believe that? Do you think, I mean, Everyone's kind of waiting for the Yankees to do something. People thought it might be Correa. Is it more likely to be Freeman? What's your feel there? Matt, I live in the New York area. I covered the Yankees for 16 years. Nothing they do will ever surprise me. So uh, (laughs) do I think it's a possibility? Absolutely. I think the Yankees were waiting to see. I mean, everybody was killing them before the lockout started about not doing anything. And they're sitting on the sideline while, you know, one and a half billion dollars worth of free agents get signed and a billion dollars on December 1st. And why is Brian Cashman? Is he awake? Uh, I think they were waiting to see what is the CBT going to look like? What is the new agreement going to look like? How are these things going to shake out? And now I think the Yankees will get back to doing their business and figuring out um, how to get back to the World Series because it's been, uh, you know, 13 years since they've been there, which I know for for like fan bases in Cleveland and Seattle and some other places, they're going, oh, poor babies. But in the Yankees universe, 13 years is a very long time. Um, So I think uh Freeman look they need for, they need help at first base Luke Voigt just can't stay healthy I don't think they can rely on him um and I think that first base is something to address now could that be Matt Olson if there's a trade to be made sure but Brian Cashman would always be uh happier to just write a check and not have to give up any of his top prospects to fill a hole and when there's a guy like Freeman out there uh it would not it would not at all surprise me if uh, if the Yankees made a big move there you know what it struck me, Mark, if I'm looking at the remaining free agents, is how heavily tilted towards hitters it is, right? If you look at hitters, you've got the big boys in Correa, Freeman, Story Bryant, you know, Schwerber, Conforto, Rizzo, Castellanos, a whole bunch of outfielders from the Braves. If you look at starting pitchers, there's really only like two top-level starters available, and one of those is Clayton Kershaw, who's probably only going to the Dodgers or the Rangers. The other one is Carlos Rodon, who's super talented but can't stay healthy. And then after that, it's like, Zach Greinke's 38. Do you trust, you say, Kikuchi? Like, do you want to take a chance on Matthew Boyd? Like, that's it's super thin on the pitching side because, you know, like I said, Kershaw's not available to all the teams. What are teams who need a starter going to do now? That's a good question. I think, uh, you know, Rodon is definitely the only guy this side of Kershaw who's really, I would say, an impact uh, pitcher on the free agent market. I think that's where you may see the trade market get some, make some movement. Uh, you look at like the Reds, could they trade Castillo? Could they trade Gray? Um, you look at the A's, could they trade Manaya? Uh, you know, there are some other guys there who, who could be in play. Pitching went off the board fast. And when you looked at, um, you know, all of those deals that got signed before the lockout started, you know, Max Scherzer, Robbie Ray, Kevin Gosman, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, Marcus Stroman, 
John Gray, Verlander, Mats, DiSclefani, Alex Wood. I mean, lots of starting pitchers. Syndergaard, Morton, Cobb, all these guys. So uh, it was very clear that starting pitching was uh, a need for many teams and that they knew that once this first batch was off the market, it was going to be pretty thin pretty quickly. And so I think the teams that have starting pitching to trade um, could find themselves in a very advantageous position. Yeah, even you know pre-lockout, there was like this belief that like the A's were suddenly going to be this team. And you mentioned Matt Olson before, and you mentioned like some of their you know some of their pitchers. Like, is that I mean is 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 that sort of the the feeling within the industry that the A's are about to start doing one of their kind of like you know let's 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 reload a little bit and sort of just like let's you know we have these we have a few good you know few players who can bring us a bunch of prospects. Let's let's kind of go back go back to square one again. Is that is that is that something that's going to happen right now? I think so. I, that's certainly the feeling within the industry. Now, what's interesting is, I mean, they won 86 games last year, right? The new expanded playoffs, they're they're right there. Um, so I, I think that there's a, uh, a belief that they're going to make trades, but Billy Bean's also been known to, you know, zig when everybody else is zagging. So um, I wouldn't, I guess, be totally stunned, but I think there's the, the feeling within the industry is that they're going to make some moves. Do you think there's more to do for the Rangers? I'll back that up a second. There is more to do. They're still not a very good team, right? But they spent a ton of money on Mark Simeon and Corey Seager and John Gray and Kel Calhoun. Do you think they still have more in the tank aside from possibly Kershaw this winter? I mean, I think pitching is certainly um, what they need to address now. I mean, John Gray was a nice addition, but that rotation still needs a little help. It's hard to imagine they're going to go out and sign another big bat after all the moves that they've already made. Um, but I think, you know, the, the Rangers, the Rangers are a team to me where the expanded playoffs, uh, gives them some hope coming into this year. Nobody really thought they were going to catch on to the Astros right away this year. The Mariners are certainly an emerging team, but all of a sudden the Rangers are a really interesting team in that division. And with three wild cards, you know, things fall right. Maybe they do sign Kershaw. Uh, maybe some of their young pitchers take a step forward. Uh, you know, they've put, they've put some pieces in place that should give fans in Texas a lot more hope a lot sooner than they, than they maybe thought they would before the off season started. Texas is a good, a good framework for, for my next question for you, because I think, you know, um, Corey Seager kind of sets the market for what maybe Carlos Correa will kind of expect to get, or maybe he, you know, you could argue he should probably sign a deal for more. What did, what did, what did uh, Seager sign for 10 for three twenty five? Is that, am I getting that right? Yep. Do I have that right? I should know yep. this. Yep. Um, is that is is that what Correa, is is that what Correa's going to get? Is going to get more? And you know, I kind of you know, I kind of want to get your sense of Correa, and then maybe we can run through some of these other top top free agents of kind of your rapid fire prediction of sort of how much that yeah. you think they'll get and where they're going to land. Like no pressure, with Correa. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing that kind of went under the radar during the last three months is that during the lockout, Carlos Correa switched agents. Uh, he got rid of William Morris Endeavor. And he has signed with Scott Boris. Scott Boris, of course, is the agent who got Corey Seager his 10 years and $325 million. So if if Boris now goes to teams and says, look, this is what Seager got and Correa is better than Seager. So, he, you know, I think the target is certainly to get more than that. The question now is, are there teams left with that kind of money that want to spend it uh, on Correa? Or is he going to have to get creative like he has done with other guys, J.D. Martinez comes to mind, um, where J.D. was sitting there in late February without a deal. Uh, Boris got him the deal with the Red Sox with opt-outs after pretty much every year of the deal. So maybe Correa, if he can't find the 10-year $340 million deal or whatever the number is that he's looking for, 
Uh, maybe he ends up signing a deal with an opt-out after each of the next two or three years that would allow him to go back on the market, uh, you know, assuming that he's continuing to produce and, and that, you know, Boris thinks there are teams out there. Then again, when we ever, when we've ever doubted Scott and <laughs> Prince Fielder comes to mind specifically uh, saying, Oh, well, he overplayed his hand. There's no way he's going to get money for you know what he's looking for, for that guy. He always gets the money for that guy. So, um, you know, maybe a team that looks at the new CBT and says, we've got plenty of room and, and we've got a chance now and blah, blah, blah. And Carlos Correa is the missing link. Uh, I still wouldn't be totally surprised. Totally surprised. I'm not saying this is going to happen if the Tigers get back into this because we saw the Rangers sign Seager and Semyon. I know the Tigers signed Javi Baez, but there's still the AJ Hinch factor. There's still Detroit in a fairly weak division and there's still money there. So maybe Detroit says, you know what? Let's go all in here. Let's get Correa. AJ says he's the guy who's going to you know, put us over the top in this division. Why not? Why not move Baez back over to second base where he played with the Mets and bring in Correa and you've just added a star-studded infield. All right, so Correa, Correa to the Tigers. That's happening. You just said it. <laughs> Boom. Um, all right, let's go to Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant, I just got an alert saying that Bryce Harper's stumping for him. Wants him in Philly. Where do you think Chris Bryant's going to land? That wouldn't surprise me at all. I mean, we know how close the two of them are. Philly has has been looking for some offensive answers. That's a team that uh, should have been better the past few years than it's been. Joe Girardi is certainly a manager who knows how to uh, get a team to the postseason. It just hasn't happened yet. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised there. I know the Mets have been talked about as a destination for him, but I just don't... Uh, I don't know if Steve Cohen's as much as Steve Cohen is going to spend on this team. Uh, I think there are other needs there besides Chris Bryant. So Philly seems like a perfectly reasonable landing spot for him. All right. What about um, Trevor story? Trevor story is interesting because he's coming off of a, a subpar year with some injury concerns. Um, I think Seattle is a decent destination for him. If things go the right way, the Mariners have, you know, they, they had a good year last year. They came on. They almost made the postseason. They're a team that hasn't been to the postseason in 22 years, I believe it is now. Uh, it's the longest streak in, in North American sports. They're coming off a 90-win season. They brought in Robbie Ray. They've got a couple of young players who are really, you know, ready to contribute. Obviously, Kellen came up last year. Julio Rodriguez is on the way. Um, adding a guy like Story, if they think his shoulder is not an issue, uh, or shoulder or elbow. Now I can't remember. His arm is not an issue. Uh, <laughs> if they think he's healthy, we know how good this guy has been. So was last year's performance completely injury related or was it pressure of a free agent, free agent contract year related? Was all of it related? Um, I just think there's a, there's a, a, he's a good fit there in Seattle. And I'm not sure how many, um, you know, how many other teams are necessarily in that mix. Mark, well, we can obviously gonna, we, go ahead. I, I was just gonna say, Mark, I, I sympathize with you about forgetting about which part of his body he was injured because I was looking through the free agent list and it took me a minute to be like, wait a minute, Corey Kluber signed with the Rays? When did that happen? Like the last three months have put <laughs> such a brain fog on me. And I listen, I um I feel you. There is mild, very mild breaking news from Jason Stark that may affect you, Mark, if you're going to Florida. He says that the new spring training schedule in Florida when they have teams grouped in pods, it's so like a Tampa pod a Fort Myers pod and a South Florida pod. So if you're going down to spring training, that may or may not be the way it works. But uh, 
Jason's that's super what I, That's what so I had heard yeah. as well, which is great news, considering that I, I believe I'm going to have to cover the Yankees for a little while. And on the schedule, they had a trip to uh, Jupiter and West Palm Beach, which is a four-hour drive <laughs> over that way. So uh, if they can stay in that Clearwater, Dunedin, Lakeland, Sarasota uh, area, that would be, given the gas prices these days, that would be a real, a real plus. <laughs> well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> Mark, I'm not going to go through every free agent, although I'd kind of like to. But I'll, let me—I'll give you the last one. You—you you take your pick of these names. I want to give you—you you take a picture, a prediction for pick one of these guys. Who do you think is the most interesting? Where are they going to sign? Castellanos, Schwarber, uh, Seiya Suzuki, uh, Jorge Soler. Who do you think is the most interesting of those, and where are they going to sign? I mean, I think Suzuki is the most interesting because he's the unknown, and and when somebody you know a big time star comes over from Japan, there's a lot of hype around him. I was covering the Yankees when Matsui came over. I was, you know, still in, uh, I was covering the league when Ichiro came over. And, um, you know, I, I think just hearing about him and getting a chance to see him in the big leagues is going to be interesting. Solaire interests me coming off of the world series MVP. Uh, obviously he's good right fielder, but that, like we talked earlier, the, the DH coming to the national league should help him as well. Same with Castellanos and, and Schwarber. So you've got a lot of sort of big bats, um, that profile as as corner outfielders, potentially DHs, um, that that will give some options to you know to teams looking to add an impact batter on the league. But I think Suzuki has to be the most interesting just because of the nature of his free agency. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back and talk a little bit about spring training and what to expect over the next couple of days. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Welcome back to the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. Mike Petriello, Matt Myers, with special guest Mark Feinstein. Keegan Matheson, who is our Blue Jays beat reporter, just tweeted something very important. Let the record show that Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, and Teoscar Hernandez are taking their first swings of camp to Whitney Houston's I Want to Dance with Somebody. <laughs> so, spring training is fully in effect, and I wish so badly I was there because that must be super fun. Uh, Mark, you've covered a lot of spring trainings, and this one is going to be, I think, unlike any we've had before. And I think that starts with the fact that a lot of the international players won't be able to get there on time. Like, for example, uh, Hyunjin Ryu is still in Korea, and I believe he can't even get a flight out here until uh, Monday. I saw that Ranger Suarez, who was so good for the Phillies last year, still doesn't have a visa. That is probably going to be maybe a larger issue than I think a lot of fans are expecting. Is that right? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, some of these players in other countries didn't make plans to come over here uh, until the lockout was done. And now there's some procedural issues that will get in the way. Uh, you know, uh, I'm sure the traveling secretaries are scrambling right now to try to make this all happen, uh, you know, to get guys in, especially with the abbreviated spring training. But, um, you know, hopefully it won't have too much of an impact or delay anybody, you know, way, way, way too long. Now, from your experience covering spring training, like what, I mean, what would you expect, like, 
you know, day one normally is, you know, stars come in and, you know, you kind of do your schmoozing. Like, I mean, I imagine also the, the you know, w- did you ever cover spring training coming out of a, a, you know, a new labor agreement and how the vibe is different? Or is this just totally uncharted territory here? Well, one of the beauties of having covered the game for 21 years during a span of 25 years of labor pieces that I have never had to deal with this before. Uh, the closest I came was in 2002 where the players were potentially going to go on strike uh, at the end of August. And there was a deal right at the 11th hour uh, on a new CBA to, to avoid that. So yeah, I have never seen this. Uh, I think you had to have been covering baseball in 1995. I was still in college at the time, not even remotely covering baseball uh, at the last time that, that, you know, spring training came in off of a uh, off of a labor issue. You know, I, I have to think camps are going to feel pretty normal. Players are going to be in the clubhouse with each other. Coaching staffs and managers were not really involved in these issues. GMs weren't even really involved in these issues. So, uh, you know, I, I have to think that everybody's just going to be so happy to be back in camp and we're getting ready for a season um, that things will feel pretty normal as they as they first get back. Have you heard anything about how uh, pitchers will be kind of worked up? Like this isn't 1950, you know, where spring training is for playing yourself into shape. Like these guys stay in top shape pretty much all year round. Um, but how how much are pitchers like already warmed up, or how much do you think this is going to impact spring training in the early season? Most pitchers start throwing off mounds and really start their throwing their their real throwing programs for the season sometime in January. So. I have to think that whatever they do in January and early February in a normal year, they've just continued doing it, whether it's throw, you know, so they haven't been able to work out at their team complexes, but I would imagine they've been working out at local colleges or, or at their high school or somewhere where, you know, all you need is a mound and a catcher and you can get your throwing in. Right. Um, so I would think that pitchers are, you know, have made sure to keep themselves in relatively good throwing shape, knowing that this thing was going to end at some point And there was a good chance it was going to be an abbreviated spring training. Teams will probably be careful with them early on. I wouldn't imagine that they're going to let pitchers get, you know, if there's, what, two and a half weeks of, of exhibition games, that's, let's say, 18 exhibition games. Maybe every pitcher gets three turns. Uh, you know, starting pitchers get three turns. Maybe they get worked up to 60 pitches, 70 pitches. So, you know, first start or two of the year, maybe, you know, kind of 75 to 80 pitch outings. Um, but I think by the time you get to, you know, the third week of April, uh, you'll see you'll see everybody pretty much where they normally would be. Do you think? And then we'll go, go back to sort of a free one one more free agency question for me. Do you think that there are going to be some players who kind of want to wait it out? Who are like, you know what? I think that maybe there'll be some injuries or some teams that like that. You know, that maybe there there are some some players who are kind of prepared to wait until April one to to to, to sign a deal. And if so, who might be some of those guys who you think might be willing to wait? It's possible. I think position players without a position would be the ones who are most likely to uh, fall into that camp where, you know, there's no team offering them a starting job. Uh, and so maybe they waited out to see if there is an injury. Sometimes a relief pitcher could be in that, you know, relief pitcher who wants a late inning role and isn't being offered that weights for an injury. It's tough because it's a shorter spring training. It's a shorter amount of time to, allow for that injury to happen. You know, a lot of times you see that happen in a normal year where, you know, a guy's unsigned by February 10th and camps are about to open. He says, well, you know, something will happen. And by March 1st, and it still gives them a month, three or four weeks to get to spring training, get themselves ready, get themselves acclimated. Um, now, if that, if that injury doesn't open up a door for them in the first three weeks, 
Well, now you're talking about getting into the season, losing weeks of paychecks, that kind of thing. Uh, so I think because of the shortened spring training, you're less likely to see players wait. Um, but I guess if there's, you know, if, if a player thinks that he's not getting the type of, of offer that he believes or his agent believes that he should get, uh, you know, it's certainly possible. One last question for me before I let you go, although I'm Mike, Mike, Mike might have one more as well. I saw that um, because of, you know, because of the delay, um, the arbitration, the deadline to extend arbitration figures is now March 22nd. And arbitration hearings are going to take place during the season. Do we think, how do you think this is going to change this process? I have to imagine teams are not going to want to do these during the season and we may see a lot more settlements. What do you, what's your feeling? That's just oh. my theory, but I want to hear your, your, your take and what you're, what you've heard. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but if you look at the past bunch of years, there haven't been that many players that end up going to hearings. Most of these guys wind up settling um, in part because nobody likes an arbitration hearing. An arbitration hearing is is an ugly process where, uh, you know, they're, they're sitting across the table from each other and the teams are telling players all the things that are wrong with their games and doing that in season feels a little weird, right? Where you're going to, you're going to go to a hearing and tell this player, well, you do this poorly and do this poorly and do this poorly. And this is why you shouldn't make that money, but go get him tonight, tiger. (laughs) Um, So I I think it could impact it to some extent, but uh, you know, money talks. And and if the, if the, if the gaps are wide enough between two sides and and the midpoint is not uh, you know, something near the midpoint is not satisfactory to one of the sides or both of them, they'll go to a hearing and, and it's going to be odd. It, it's happened before. Um, I heard Michael Kay actually telling a story on his radio show about Mike Pagliarulo apparently had a, an arbitration hearing in season one year because of another labor issue and things got really heated and he almost came over the table in the middle of the hearing to go after somebody and then had to go play for the Yankees that night. So, uh, you know, it could, it could offer up some uncomfortable uh, situations, but I think teams and agents in general try to get settlements because Nobody likes arbitration hearings. They're just not they're just not fun for anybody. I I heard a version of that story too, and I cannot remember who said it, but it was with uh when Ben McDonald was pitching for the Orioles and they were playing the Mariners and they had his his hearing like the day of his start, and then after the hearing, they're like, <laughs> Now go out and beat Randy Johnson tonight. <laughs> like, Good luck with that. Having a hearing on the day I, of a starting pitcher start just feels like a bad idea, doesn't it? Oh, it's so bad. Listen, I have one last thing. It's not even really a question, it's more of an observation. Um, Because I think this happened this morning while we were doing this. So the way the schedule is going to work now, right? Like the opening day has been pushed back and the missed games are going to be made up either via doubleheaders or put onto the end of the season. So the matchups we're going to have on opening day, April 7th, are not the matchups we would have had on the original start date in late March. And the times have been changed now. So now you can see like, okay, opening day is not going to be all seven o'clock games. It's going to be your usual like daytime slate. And so the very first game of the season on Thursday, April 7th at one o'clock, Red Sox at Yankees, which I think is perfect. The other thing I found really interesting is that uh, I don't even remember who the Mets were supposed to play originally, but now their first series is going to be in Washington, which means that either on day one or day two, depending on how they align the rotation, Max Scherzer will be pitching in Washington as a member of the Mets. And if that's not made for drama, I don't know what is. And to be honest, I'm just so excited to be able to say the words Max Scherzer and talk about where he's going to pitch. And I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I'm stoked. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Hey, we're going to be back on a more regular podcast schedule now. Obviously, we took a big break. We're excited to be back with you. And that'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, please leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.